said, baby girl, I'm gonna make your death count. They don't get to kill you and get away with this. I'm gonna make your death count for something. Welcome to the Not In Our Town podcast, featuring powerful voices from people across the country who are taking a stand against hate and working to create safe and inclusive communities for all. I'm Jeremy Jew. In today's episode, Patrice O'Neill, filmmaker and founder of Not In Our Town, talks to Susan Bro, a mother and teacher who became a passionate social activist after her 32-year-old daughter, Heather Heyer was killed by a white supremacist. The interview took place in the summer of 2019. I have a personal responsibility to speak up. I have a personal responsibility to act. I have a personal responsibility that has been handed to me, and I cannot, in good conscience, walk away from that. I'm Patrice O'Neill. Many of us remember where we were when we heard the news about the violence that erupted when hate groups descended on the city of Charlottesville, Virginia. White power activists from across the country were called to a Unite the Right rally to protest local plans to remove Confederate statues from public spaces. Susan Burrow's daughter, Heather, was marching in a peaceful protest on a downtown street when suddenly a 20-year-old man from Ohio with white supremacist ties plowed into the crowd with his car. In the years since Susan's daughter was killed, hate violence has escalated and her own activism has grown. Susan and her husband, Kim, joined us for a reception with friends of Not In Our Town on Lake Mira in Oakland in the summer of 2019. First, I wanted Susan to tell us about her daughter, and I didn't need to ask many more questions. She has so much to say about Heather and why she feels compelled to stand up to racism. My daughter was the most difficult child to raise. Um, very strong-willed, very passionate had to be convinced of what the value of something was her entire life or she wouldn't do it. Um, hated school. I was a school teacher, that was trying. But I always knew Heather had a very strong sense of right and wrong too. And once we got through those difficult teen years, and my God, they were difficult. She uh, was passionate about people being treated fairly. She was passionate about people being treated equally. Uh, she quickly adopted friends from the gay population, and she had a lot of black friends, and she had uh, Asian friends. I did not know a lot of what Heather did. She didn't talk about it. Her brother didn't talk about what they did. But I learned after Heather's death that many times in school she was defending a kid who was picked on by other kids. She was defending a kid who was picked on by teachers. She was always defending people, and she frequently was in suspension because she would back-talk a teacher, uh, and she wouldn't back down if she thought she was right. Didn't know a lot about that, but she continued that passion as an adult. Uh, we would meet twice a month for um, dinner when she would get paid, and she was single. She lived alone. She did have boyfriends, but she lived alone, and so she saved all of her talking for me. 
And um, she worked as a paralegal in a bankruptcy firm, and she also worked as a bartender part-time and occasionally delivered food for one of those in-home delivery things. Um, but she would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk with me in great passion, hands going, and I'm lucky to get a word in sideways while she's telling me all about what's happening in the news and with Black Lives Matter and what's the latest thing with Sean King. And she saw this happen at work and she heard about this happen in Charlottesville. And I was getting an education listening to her. last time I saw my daughter, we had met on August the 2nd for dinner. And um, we talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. And I finally said, honey, I got to go home. And we went out to the car and we hugged and we hugged and we kissed on the cheek. And I laughed and I said, it's not like we'll never see each other again. And she said, I know, Ma, it's crazy, isn't it? So the next day, she sent me a text message at work. And she said, what's your social security number and when's your birthday? I said, well, I don't normally tell those things, but I'll tell you. Uh, tell me why you want to know. So I gave her the information. And she said, I'm, I'm getting a... Um, was it at an IRA or something like that at work? She said, I wanted to list you as beneficiary. Typical Heather, she never actually filed the paperwork. <laughs> and that's okay. And I said to my daughter, the very last thing I ever said to her was, don't die, I'd rather have you than the money. And she said, I'll try not to. And that's the last thing I ever said to my child. So I felt like we had closure. There was nothing left to say, except I love you. Breaking news, terror in Charlottesville. Chaos in the streets. As a car plows into a crowd of people. The last time I saw my daughter, was the day I identified her body. She was covered in bruises. They had cut her beautiful hair off. They'd already told me that she had brain damage. So I saw her the night before the funeral and I signed the paperwork for her to be cremated. And I held her hand and I said, baby girl, I'm gonna make your death count. They don't get to kill you and get away with this. I'm going to make your death count for something. And that's why I do the work that I do. So amid great fanfare and politicians calling and press showing up around the clock and bugging everybody and their brother um, just doing their job, and I agreed to talk to them because I wanted, understood she was not violent, she was not with Antifa, she was with a peaceful group. That was my first abiding passion to make sure that message got out and that I was proud of her. Um, we had the funeral. We went to the funeral parlor and we said, okay, um, we don't go to church. We're not particularly religious, 
so do you have a venue? And they said, well, we have the Paramount Theater. And I said, it's a little big. They said, well, we have the Jefferson Theater. And I said, that's still a little big. They said, no, honey, we have both. I said, why? Are we having like maybe 20, 30, maybe 100 people? And they said, well, the Paramount holds 1,000, the Jefferson holds 800, and then we'll also have widescreen TVs on the downtown mall along with uh, police. And so they did. And it was packed. I wouldn't allow politicians to speak. Maxine Waters met me and hugged me while we got out of the car. But I kept saying, I don't understand why this gets so much attention. I don't understand this is one person killed. And I've heard of other incidents where lots and lots and lots of other people were killed. So I don't get why they keep coming back to me. You know, Heather was not a known activist in the community. She was deeply passionate one-on-one -on -one and in small groups and on Facebook and on Twitter. Public speaking terrified her. It finally hit me a year later. America still operates off the myth of the sanctity of white womanhood, the same myth that the KKK relies on, the same myth that the white supremacists rely on. That's the myth that has driven the attention of my daughter's murder. So I've been given a great platform I've been given a lot of attention. I've been given a lot of leeway. I know that's not fair, and I know that's not right. How many of you know other mothers and fathers who have lost children, and they don't get this? In fact, a lot of them have to spend a great deal of time proving, not just saying, but proving that their child was not a thug, it was not a drug deal gone bad, it was not a murder, it was not a self-defense, but their child was murdered in cold blood and they can't get people to believe them because they don't want to believe them and I didn't have to do any of that. I was handed this platform. To my mind, if I'm handed this platform, then I have a personal responsibility to speak up. I have a personal responsibility to act. I have a personal responsibility that has been handed to me, and I cannot, in good conscience, walk away from that. I do not believe that these opportunities are given to people to be wasted. I never wanted the attention. I never wanted the fame. I never wanted any of it. And people originally at home were saying, oh, you're doing this to get rich. You, every time you go on Ellen or the VMAs, you're getting rich. I said, we have a foundation, and the money goes into the foundation, and if I touch it, that's embezzlement, and I could go to prison. I still live in the same single-wide trailer I lived in as a single mom for 25 years. I still shop at Walmart. I still buy a used car. I'm still me. The Heather Heyer Foundation was formed nine days after Heather was murdered. Not nine days after the funeral, nine days after she was murdered. That got to a quarter of a million dollars by the time the funeral was over. So I said, stop, I, I don't know what we're supposed to do with all this. Well, it went to pay for Heather's bills, it went to pay for the funeral, the hospital bills were canceled by Uni University of Virginia.
some money was given to her father, some money went to her brother, some money went to start a, a college scholarship fund for her niece, which Heather had, was getting ready to set up, and so we did it instead. And um, we had some set aside to do something we weren't sure what we were going to do with. And then money was still pouring in. Not through the GoFundMe anymore, but it was coming in through the mayor's office, it was coming through police stations, it was coming through the funeral parlor, general delivery, showing up at my house. Um, and I live in a trailer in the country, so you know, it's pretty amazing. And it was $10, $20, $50, $5, but it was adding up. And I said to her boss, Alfred, help me do some sort of structured thing with this money because obviously the money is not for the family. People feel like they want to be a part of what they think Heather stood for. So uh, the first thought was, well, I was a teacher, and um, Alfred, uh, her uh, friend and coworker, uh, manager at the bankruptcy firm, had managed scholarship funds before. He said, let's do a scholarship fund. So we were going to do a scholarship for um, Heather's High School, and we were going to do a scholarship for Charlottesville High School. That was all we initially planned to do. And then we would see what else we could do. That was in August. And the VMA Awards had asked me to come previously. And I said, no, nah, you got the wrong person. I don't think you want an old lady on there. A PR firm came in and said, can we help you with pro bono work for a while? And I was like, would you please? Because they were hounding us 24-7 with um, press. And they said, you're absolutely going to do the VMA Awards. So I did the VMA Awards at 60 years old. I want people to know that Heather never marched alone. She was always joined by people from every race and every background in this country. In that spirit, MTV has decided to honor all six nominees for Best Fight Against the System. I congratulate all these artists on their VMA tonight, and I look forward to the important work that they and all of you will do together to make the world a better, kinder place. The first year, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation reached out to us uh, for a scholarship program, an essay contest in November. Uh, they awarded 8,000 in scholarships. We awarded 1,000, and then we, so we gave about 3,000 in scholarships, plus a little more to help a kid who was really struggling. He was gay. He had been uh, bashed pretty severely in his hometown and had moved to Greene County, was actually living on his own, struggling for food, for lights on, whatever. So we helped him a little too. This past year, we gave 8,000 ourselves in scholarships. We're also, this month, launching our youth initiative called Higher Voices. So that's kind of where we are now. We have other programs for the future. Um, but I will not let my child's voice be silenced. And so I'm making it count, like I promised her. Next, Susan reflects on the prosecution and sentencing of the man who killed her daughter. 
On August 12, 2017, James Fields committed a hate-inspired act of domestic terrorism that killed 32-year-old Heather Heyer and seriously wounded over 30 people. In June 2019, U.S. Attorney Thomas T. Cullen, who led the prosecution in the Charlottesville case in federal court, spoke to the media after the sentencing of the man responsible for the hate crime attack. As a result of this act of domestic terrorism that was charged as 29 hate crimes, a United States district judge this afternoon determined that Mr. Fields deserved to spend the rest of his life in federal prison and imposed that sentence. When James Alex Fields drove his car into the crowd, he had just turned 20. He had moved into an apartment on his own not too long before. His mother had moved him out of her place because he had been so violent to her a number of times. He had a long history of mental health issues. It's a very tragic case. There is no winning here. But a couple of things had to happen. One, he, he has a repeated history of violence, so he really needed to be in a place where he can get some help because he will not stay on his medications. He has seemed to always do better when he is institutionalized, unfortunately. Um, we were asked, her father, not, not her stepfather, but her father and I were asked, how did we feel about the death penalty? And I said, honestly, it's not gonna accomplish anything. I can't live in hate. I don't hate the young man but he needed to be put away for his own sake. But even more importantly, a strong message had to be sent to those who do hate, this will not be tolerated in our country, this will not be tolerated in the state of Virginia. In the federal case, he received 29 life sentences. He has to serve the first one for Heather. He, he pled guilty in order to avoid the death penalty. So he serves the first life sentence for Heather then he serves the other 28 after he serves the life sentence for Heather. Someone said to me, how does he do that? I said, I don't know, not my problem. <laughs> um, state sentencing, he received life plus 419 years plus uh, $280,000 in restitution to the state. Again, nothing brought Heather back. Nothing can take away the injuries of the other people who were severely injured, many of them still facing surgery, um, marriages that are broken, homes that are wrecked, people who are permanently scarred in many ways. Nothing's gonna fix that, but a very strong message unfortunately had to be sent because he made the choice that he made that we just can't tolerate this anywhere. I feel badly about it, um, but it had to be done. I asked Susan what she was learning through this process about the need to stand up to racism. The interview took place in the summer of 2019. I see how people interact with other people now that I wasn't aware of. When we are white, when we are mainstream, even though I'm from hillbilly stock, honest to God, uh, it's called the starfish build. We have short arms, short legs, and a short torso. Um, even though I have experienced some discrimination issues in my life, um, even though I have to battle because I'm a woman, I'm still a white woman. And I'm still afforded some privilege that not everybody is afforded. 
I have a moral obligation as a human to do something about that, particularly when I'm one of the ones who has that power and privilege. I have um, a great affinity for what Muhammad Ali said, which is that the service we do for others is the rent that we pay for living on this earth. I come from a long line of people who are service-minded. What can I do? How can I help? You know, I get, I get really frustrated when I hear people go, oh, thoughts and prayers. That's wonderful. Now what? What are you going to do? What can I do? What, how do I help this? What can I do? And that's the mind frame that I operate from. I'm very practical-minded. What can we do to make this happen? What do you need? Do you need food brought in? Whatever. Each of us has a path laid out in front of us that is unique to our lives. Each of us has a range of experiences. Each of us has a range of talents and abilities. Each of us has opportunities that come into our lives in order to make the world a better place. I could never do what Frank does. I could never do what Patrice does. But I have opportunities and pathways laid out for me that my ability for being able to think on my feet and to talk, to read a crowd, to read people, those are my, my skills. You have skills working in restorative justice. You have skills working in I don't know what. And I don't have to know what. I just need to know that you guys are with me, that you're stepping forward with your intentions. We call it step up, step out. A lot of people will step up to the plate and go, yeah, let's make this happen. And then they never do anything. Or people go, man, that situation is awful. Somebody ought to do something about it. Well, if you see it, maybe you're the one that needs to do something. People often think that Heather was the end-all and the be-all to Charlottesville. Heather was unknown in the community, except through the bankruptcy firm. She was pretty well unknown. She was not an activist on the local scene. She showed up just to walk with her friends for a while that day. She wore what she was going to wear to the bar that afternoon because she was working at the bar that afternoon. Um, I'm not letting her message die and that I'm keeping it true and straight. It aggravates me to death when people try to put the white savior complex on August 12th. I've, I've had to fight world famous artists who wanted to do murals with Heather benevolently looking down on everybody. Um, I've had to fight with authors wanting to write how she was this glorious leader. I've had to argue with people who say, she's just like Martin Luther King. No, she's not. She was a random murderer in a crowd. Um, it's been, that's been my biggest battle and my biggest joy is to make sure the truth is told and to make sure that the focus is firmly where it belongs on individual direct action, um, not on my child. I tell you the story of my child in the beginning because frankly you want to know. <laughs> but I also want you to understand she's a side issue, really. She really is a side issue. Let's look at what's going on that had her there in the first place. She had no idea that that one act of walking 
and being on 4th Street where she was going to be would cause such an explosion in the world. It's not right and it's not fair that her death caused that big of a commotion, but it happened. She was not responsible for the outcome, but she was responsible to act, and I'm proud of her for that action. I know that each of you, because you are part of this group, has already made that commitment to action. I also know from having met some of the other people in this group that you are already practicing another tenant that I preach, which is go out and bring one more in. Many of you may know the story of the boy and the grandfather on the beach. And it's after the storm and the beach is covered with starfish. Are you familiar with that? Raise your hand if you are. It's, a, it's an urban folktale. So there's been a big storm and the boy and the grandfather are walking on the beach and it's covered with starfish, covered with starfish. And sometimes you hear that it's the boy, sometimes you hear that it's the granddad, but one of them starts picking up starfish and throwing them back. And the other one says, why? Why are you doing that? You can't possibly make that big a difference. And he said, I made a difference to this one and I made a difference to this one. Now, I used to be one of the people down on the beach throwing the starfish back, but my job has changed. With my daughter's death, I'm now up on the dune hollering, hey y'all, need some help down here. Come on, come on. And I'm encouraging everybody to come join us in throwing these starfish back into the sea. You and your positions with this group are also standing on the dunes. So I commend you for the work that you do, and I encourage you in the work that you do. You're making use of your talents, you're making use of your abilities, you're making use of the platforms as they are given to you. And your unique experience and your unique talents, you are joining me. You are continuing my daughter for me because we are all working together. Susan is determined to make her daughter's death count, and now Heather's name is tied to a bill before Congress that would mandate that every hate crime in our country be counted. The Khalil Jabara Heather Hire No Hate Act would improve the accuracy of federal hate crime statistics while providing state and local authorities with additional resources to prevent, address, and respond to hate crime. Thank you, Susan Bro. Your voice and actions are sorely needed in these alarming times. This is Patrice O'Neill for Not In Our Town. To learn more about how you can make a difference in your community, please visit our website at niot.org. That's N-I-O-T dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening.